My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up the mountain to pray. While he was praying, his face changed in appearance, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were conversing with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his exodus that he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions had been overcome by sleep, but becoming fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As they were about to part from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But he did not know what he was saying. While he was still speaking, a cloud came and cast a shadow over them, and they became frightened when they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my chosen son. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They fell silent and did not at that time tell anyone what they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So, a week and a half into Lent, a week after spring break, how are things going for you so far? <laughs> On Ash Wednesday, we, we heard those, those three pillars of the season of Lent, of prayer, of fasting, and almsgiving. And usually there are, are plenty of people who start off somewhat enthusiastic about giving up some things, adding some different practices, making some changes as they try to embrace these Lenten disciplines. But... As those first few days pass by as you're off on spring break, it's not uncommon for many people to find them a little bit more challenging than when they imagined they would be as they started, particularly for my beloved college students. Working with college students, it's been an incredibly rewarding spiritual experience on a personal level, but it's also incredibly hysterical. (laughs) And Lent opens itself to a wide variety of examples to prove that point. There was a year when one of our focus missionaries at the time decided he was going to give up eating meat for the entire season of Lent. I don't think he realized at the time that they had also scheduled, the focus missionaries, by the way, had scheduled a men's night, which their their theme was a bacon night. There was a a five-course meal that featured bacon in everything, including the dessert of chocolate chip cookies, which I still don't know how they did that. Anyway, went out of compassion... For him, I, I purchased a box of tofu bacon. <laughs> I think it was made out of tofu, but I just bought that so he would feel like he was included and that he wouldn't feel like ostracized or anything. And as he took a bite of the fake bacon, he just looked at me like he was going to cry. I mean, he was just like, this just made everything worse. <laughs> or <laughs> one of my first years working with, with you characters One student couldn't wait to tell me how serious he was going to take Lent. This was the first year he could legally drink alcohol, and he was giving it up for Lent, which I can attest was going to be a tremendous sacrifice for him. Just 
knowing him and knowing his Irish heritage and how in previous years he and his buddies had gone into New York City for the parade. I'm like, that's impressive. Your first legal St. Patrick's Day and you're going to be sober? And at that, the eyebrows went up as we did both hands. Oh, St. Patrick's Day doesn't count. I'm like, really? Well, my calendar, March 17th, falls during Lent. Yeah, but that's one of those, you know, you got a freebies. I'm like, you mean you're dispensed from it? He said, yeah, 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 that's it, I'm dispensed. I said, well, who told you that? And this literally went on for a good five minutes or so, where I started throwing a few bombs in, like, heaven's not for everybody, you know. (laughs) Or... I must have missed that part of the passion narrative where Jesus just said, I'm tired of being on the cross. I'm going to come down now. (laughs) Who says Catholic guilt doesn't work? He didn't drink at all that St. Patrick's Day. Now, I'm not usually that aggressive with with you guys, but that year I had given up coffee and all caffeine. And that was a disaster for me personally. Whatever spiritual good that could have come from such a sacrifice and such an act of self-denial, I just... Ruined because I complained about it every single day up until Easter. <laughs> so why do we go through these ordeals every year? What is the point to fasting and prayer and almsgiving? I think a lot of us, we can kind of have it in our mind that it's something that we have to do or we're supposed to do during Lent. And we start off Ash Wednesday with that. But that can start to fade. The why can start to fade in our everyday lives. And we just find ourselves aggravated as we stop ourselves from grabbing that thing I promised myself and the Lord I was going to refrain from, or feeling a bit stressed when I'm trying to to keep up with that extra time for prayer or that devotion that I was committing to, or as I see gas prices going up and prices for everything going up, I start to recalculate in my mind how much I was willing to offer to give to someone else in need. These readings for the second Sunday of Lent speak to those very understandable human impulses, especially that that second reading from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. St. Paul lays out the two very different paths that are available, and there is only two. Living as people who are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ, or as people who embrace it. Now, that probably strikes us as a bit extreme, especially on our campus, we're conditioned to want to accommodate a a wide variety of degrees in between. But Paul's giving voice to that needed wake-up call that Lent's supposed to do to us, that's supposed to unsettle within each and every one of us. Are we following the ways of the world, looking to fit in, not wanting to rock the boat, and even in the process, very subtly, becoming enemies of the cross? Now, our being here can make us defensive to say, obviously, the answer is no. And St. Paul is not speaking to us to accuse us or to make us feel guilty. He's speaking from his own personal experience, where before his conversion to Christ, he was, in fact, a vicious enemy to Jesus and his followers. He's also speaking from his personal experience after his conversion to Jesus, how different Sins, different temptations would, would constantly reemerge. That would, would, he would start to pray that God would just remove this from him. Remove the temptation, remove the weakness, whatever it was that was tormenting him. He described it as a thorn in his side. That that would just simply be removed from being a thing in his life at all. And in a sense, 
Jesus was telling him that as hard as it was to resist that temptation to sin, he still had that freedom. He still had that free will within himself to make that choice and that decision not to. And he basically says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. That's why Paul in today's reading, is very, it's giving us a lot of things to reflect on on this second Sunday of Lent. Because he's not saying that everything in this world, everything that we feed on, everything that we enjoy is evil. Being Christian doesn't mean we have to be miserable. The things that my friends were giving up, meat and alcohol, are not evil. Coffee is most definitely not evil. It's a sign of a good and gracious and loving and all-powerful God. (laughs) I might be slightly biased on that. But (laughs) what Paul is talking about is our passions, our desires, our appetites that can very easily get out of whack. And that's where that contrast between those who are enemies of the cross and those who embrace it are coming from. And our fasting and our prayer and our almsgiving is designed to help us to become masters of our passions, to learn how to purify our desires, to get a handle on our appetites, to be sure that they're not becoming things that I'm enslaved to, that they don't become a, a created God that I start worshiping and serving myself, that I end up even obeying. And that's a bit more common in our world where there are many other things that have become idols, that have become gods that people do end up serving. And that's not something new that's either, new either. In that first reading, Abram, before his name changed to Abraham, he's confronted with that same challenge. God asks Abram, who does he want to follow? Whose voice is he going to listen to and trust? Who will, in fact, be his God? And as unimaginable to him as these promises that the Lord was making, that he was going to have descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, which for this guy who was a really old man at this point, his wife is just as old, was really kind of blowing his mind at that point. But the divine author of Genesis captures Abram's decision saying, Abraham, Abram put his faith in the Lord. And we hear then this bizarre episode of cutting animals up and these Mysterious items, the smoking fire pot and this flaming torch passing through the sacrificed animals. What was that all about? That was the way the ancient civilizations made an irrevocable promise. This was a covenant which said, if either of us break this bond, may what happened to these animals happen to us. And what's most remarkable, though, is that we only read how God's the one who walks through that. That's what the smoking pot and the the, the flaming torch were. The Lord makes that covenant with Abram and he takes that that bond and that commitment on himself, but he doesn't make Abraham do it as well. Meaning God bound himself to it. And yes, he, he wanted that same commitment from Abram, but he didn't put him under the same penalty. Why? Because God knows the human heart. He knows the temptations. He knows that the struggle to choose him will constantly be reemerging for us to give into our desires and our passions and our appetites and become enemies of him is going to become a recurring thing humanity is going to struggle through, which is what we see in the gospel. Look at Peter, James, and John in the gospel today. In Luke's account of the transfiguration, as they're experiencing Jesus's glory, he's become dazzling white. And oh yeah, he's speaking to Moses and Elijah, by the way. 
What's their reaction? They fall asleep. I don't get it. And not to beat up or pile on them here because I wasn't there. But that's a very human reaction. That's a human response because they felt that peace. It was comforting. It was comfortable. And Peter's default, it's understandable, it's human. Let's just stay here. Everything's nice and cozy here. But love isn't meant to be selfish or self-oriented like that. Jesus loves Peter, James, and John. That's why they're there in the first place and experiencing this transfiguration. And Peter is still learning that love calls him to embrace God's vision. To, yes, see the good things that they've experienced and to rejoice in those blessings, but always with their hearts and their minds and their souls open to the voice of the Lord, who makes things, everything absolutely crystal clear once again. As the Father says, this is my chosen son. Listen to him. Making that choice to follow him, knowing now beyond a shadow of a doubt, once again, Jesus is who he says he is. And now following him down that mountain and to the cross. Yes, to the cross. That's our call too. And not just this Lent, but our entire lives as disciples of Jesus. To be sure that we're not becoming enemies of the cross. By giving into ourselves and our inclinations and our impulses. May our continued steps through this Lent, through all of our personal commitments to prayer and to fasting and to giving, renew that choice for each of us to purify us within and let go of anything that undermines our commitment and instead reaffirms that we are embracing the cross, finding when we do that Christ is embracing us.